1: so, to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: <laughs>
3: what that? That's the second time it's gone off.
0: never got home. They never got home. They never got, got, got home, those, those guys.
3: said, I want to win the
2: league, but I want to win it better. You can
3: understand
0: that, can not you? Yes. Good lad. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team? <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever.
1: Alright, that's enough messing around now. For 20 years, Munster and Leinster have been knocking around the closing stages of the European Cup. The time has finally come to get it on in a final. Hello and welcome to your Easter Monday Second Captains podcast. Ever been to Bilbao, Bow, Murph? Yes. No. A lovely venue, Ken, for an all-Irish European Cup final this year. Champions Cup final. Mm. Saturday 12th of May. Yeah, very good. you encourage everyone to attend this event. I mean, sure, both teams have to still win their semifinals. Oh, who, are they playing? who are they playing? Oh, Ken, who are they playing? The Scarlets at home for Leinster. Yeah. Monster travel to Bordeaux to take on Racing Metro sound like pretty easy games That's the spirit The two teams involved uh, Were involved in memorable Semi-finals At the weekend For very different reasons Leinster justified All the hype around them With a beating of Saracens European champions The last two years Munster took out Toulon Champions the three seasons Before that In one of the more Epic encounters Ever staged in Tolman Park Conor Murray and Andrew Conway Were their tri-scoring he- heroes Conway won it for them a glorious individual run of the death but you didn't need to watch the game to know that was going to happen all you had to do was to listen to our preview with the ex-Monster man Barry Murphy of the World Service last Friday.
4: I was watching Jaws the other night and I was like fuck this is a good analogy now for Monster." <laughs> uh, I was like bear with me here now I was like so Monster is like the the boat right and uh, they're they're all in the boat the team and then you've got Amity Island which is the island that has been tormented by the shark and that's like the province and the the people and the fans and the friends and family and then you've got the shark and that's Toulon and he is tearing lumps out of the boat and he's like (laughs) and there's been loads of casualties like Keith Earls is gone his knee was bitten off and then uh, you know we have to remember who we've got in the field that. <laughs> you know we've got that crazy captain guy with the beard and the pipe. Yeah, Robert Shaw. That's Robert Peter o, Shaw. That's Peter O'Many. Yeah, that's Peter O'Many. He's like yeah. manic. He will die, die on that, that boat. boat. He, yeah. That boat will go down, and he'll go with it. He just wants to kill a shark, like. And yeah. then you've got like that nerd Richard Dreyfus, who's yeah. like Felix Jones, <laughs> doing yeah. all the homework, and he knows <laughs> the, the, sharks the sharks inside, inside out. out. And then you've got the chief, and that's like Connor Murray. He He's yeah. Not, we know he's not going to die. He's he's going to be the saver in the end. He's, he's, too, gonna, cool to he's too cool to die. He's too cool to die.
5: And <laughs> Andrew and Conway is down. kind of like the, the fire extinguisher that blows up the... Yeah, you, exactly. yeah. yeah, yeah. Conway. He's missed his touch
4: there. They
3: could have done with that one. Going out. Oh, Conway.
4: lads it'll uh, it'll happen
1: and it happened murph hats off to you and to barry murph that's essentially listening to the match report written mm. the day before the match it's better than michael corcoran
5: and you have the added advantage of getting it a day early as well kate mcavoy on twitter uh said called it a protac- a protracted uh <laughs> analogy I, I would say that's pretty much accurate. Mm. I, I I didn't remember it actually being that long. And I think we may even have hacked it
1: down slightly there just for brevity. <laughs> we have <Nevertheless>, indeed. <laughs> eerily correct, do I think? Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Oh God, a bit of everything that ended up happening there. To hear our guaranteed one hundred percent accurate predictions to the semi-finals in a couple of weeks, you can sign up to the World Service now on secondcaptains.com if you're not there already. And thanks to everyone who became a member after we put out our chat with Richie Sadler and Schneider O'Carroll last week in the wake of the Paddy Jackson case. That episode is now available to everybody. I know some of you had never even listened to the show before, so a special welcome to you guys. And you've signed up at a pretty good time because we've one more interview left in our series of five interviews to celebrate our fifth birthday after a huge reaction to our chats with Ken Loach, Michael Chekhov, Paul Kimmage and Vincent Brown. This week, it's going to be the amazing Lynn Cox. Lynn is a legendary open water swimmer who was name-checked by Mikhail Gorbachev in a famous speech as the Cold War ended for using her sporting prowess to help bring the USA and the Soviet Union together. So a little uh, geopolitical element to the whole thing there. We're going to talk to Lynn during the week. Jerry Thorny and Matt Williams will be in shortly. Ken, you're going to cover the weekend's Premier League a little bit later in this podcast. Ushi McConville's also taken some time out of his bank holiday to chat about Dublin's latest national title, one they had to battle pretty hard for in the end against Galway, Murph.
5: Yeah, uh... Uh, I think maybe a lot of people were hoping for the best that Galway would uh, keep com- keep it competitive uh, But in the end, it was, well, Dublin were a point up with three minutes to go That sounds a little bit more competitive than a lot of people were giving Galway credit for So, uh, yes, it was uh, actually really, really entertaining And really, four pretty entertaining uh, league finals, actually, this weekend
1: Well, it wasn't a bad old weekend of European rugby Jerry, thanks for making it in
3: Yeah, no, pleasure, pleasure
1: Matt Williams, you're ready to go there?
3: Ready to rock.
1: Good, so if a lot to get into, I'm dreaming, Jerry. I'm dreaming of a Munster-Leinster final, final in Bilbao, exactly. Um, I need you to calm me down here, because it's it's a certainty for me that this is going to happen, it has
3: to. You want me to calm you down? Calm me down. Alright, I'll yeah. calm you down. Okay. In readiness for this, I uh, did a bit of research, and Leinster and Munster have made the semi-finals. In Leinster's case, they've made it uh, nine times, Yeah, they've won three and lost six. Mm. Munster made the semi-finals 12 times, yeah. won four and lost eight. Oh, Jesus. So they both got a 66% losing record at this stage, which shows you that you're going up a notch now. Also, on the three previous occasions when Munster and Leinster made it to the semi-finals in opposite halves of the draw, they both lost. Right, well you've successfully <laughs>
1: burst my point. only took one answer.
3: <laughs> okay, I, but think, I, I think what it shows is, yeah, though, yeah. that we're just going up a notch. You know, yeah. every round you progress in this tournament, the stakes get higher and it gets more difficult to win it. Ironically, when they've got to the final, of course, they've won five out of seven between them.
6: Yeah,
1: so the strike rate is good. They're yeah. very, very winnable semi-finals, though. Matt, I would have thought.
6: Yeah, very much so. Um, you know, Scarlets in Dublin have no fear. They've been there before. They've beaten Munster in the final approach world. 12. They've they've come into Done Leinster over there as well. So. It, they're tricky enough but they're certainly not like the old days where you're taking on a European behemoth you know they they they're very winnable games y- you would have to say the the luck of the draw where Munster are travelling to South Africa in the next 2 weeks is is very very tough on them that's that's that puts a different different uh spin on the whole game for for Munster it's much more uh gettable for Leinster if you like but that's how Munster do things. Like before that game yesterday, in my heart of hearts, I thought Munster would lose, because you just looked at the quality of that Toulon side and you thought, wow, that they're just such a high-quality team. And Munster just keep being who Munster are. <laughs> they just keep getting up and doing the impossible. And it was it was an inspirational day for sure. It was emotional, but they'll have to do all of that again if they're going to be in South Africa for a long period and come to Bordeaux. So it's very, very tough for, for the men in red.
1: I'd love to avoid the cliché here, Jerry, but mm-hmm. it did look like one of the great Tolman Park European
3: occasions. Jeepers, I've been lucky enough to have been at all of them. It's just, you know, it's a very, very special place um, when it comes to a big European afternoon or evening um, and the build-up to kick-off. Everybody's inside the ground. They're a very knowledgeable um, crowd. They want to roar the team in when they do a half-pitch a pitch lap, as it were, at the end of the warm-up, back into the dressing room. Um, they bellow out, stand up and fight, and they stay with the team in moments of difficulty, and there are always there there were plenty of those um, on uh, on Saturday, and they the, the crowd the players seize little moments in the match when going gets tough and the crowd roar with them. I remember once asking Victor Costello what it was like. He played once for an Ireland A side in Thoman Park, and it was the only time he was on a team, obviously where. He was being supported <laughs> as opposed to, you know, them supporting Munster against Leinster. And he remembered making a carry and hearing this roar coming from the terrorists. I went, whoa, that's different. Um, they're just into every little nuance of the match. And uh, there was, when they were 6-0 down and being 6-0 down was a result, really, uh, and a relief. There's a little moment when Matthew Bastero comes charging and Sam Arnold chops him down. Ball goes loose and he hacks it upfield. Good old foot chase, you know, old school. And the crowd are into it. And straight off the top of the line out, Keekly throws a beautiful pass to Jack O'Donoghue. And this is typical. You just sense that Jack O'Donoghue was going to have a fantastic game in the absence of Chris Clota and Tommy O'Donnell. And he breaks two tackles, Bastero and Nanu, <laughs> you know, to get them over the game line. They clearly had a preordained tactic of putting little wicked grubbers in behind. Um, Zeebo had put one in earlier for Conway. It nearly led to a try. Keekley puts one in. And then there's this extraordinary opportunism of uh, Connor Murray. With an, um, a mighty match again as usual, he was one step ahead of like twenty nine players were in freeze frame, and he was thinking ahead of everybody. And I think his even his stature won him that try as much as anything else. When when they went when. Um Nigel Owens went to uh, John Mason and was another part of the drama-filled epic that it was. I think the first half was 56 minutes, the second 52. The game finished two hours, two minutes after it started and nobody had left the ground and nobody was leaving the ground afterwards that he referred to Conor Murray by name throughout that dialogue with John Mason. It was the only time in the match I heard him referring to a player by name. (laughs) And, um... And uh, Jan jo- jo- van Grand said they would have to outsmart Toulon as well as outfight them. And they, in that instance, there was a classic case of them outsmarting. And I just shows you that they have. They may not have all the, st- the talents that Leinster have but at Thoman Park especially and they have still got like the best scrum half all around in the world right now and Conor Murray who like I said had a phenomenal match and that got them back in and then for half an hour they were on top then Toulon brought on from- Tran Duke and Albie Matheson and then they were on top it just it ebbed and it flowed like this all the time there was never more than a score between them and then even before Conway's try a little moment they look goosed it's nine minutes to go it's a scrum and they, John Ryan gets another shunt on and Peter Manny clearly illegally kicks the ball prods it through um, Dwayne Vermeulen cannot pick up and who's there onto it latching onto it with put, getting a put, foot to the ball and then picking up having the strength to put them on the front foot Conor Murray even then it looked like they'd blown it but then you come to Andrew Conway's try the catch alone <laughs> was would have been catch of the season in a, in a, in a cricket tour um, and then the slaloming try echoes of Teddy Thomas it was just Sensational! It was, you know, hairs in the back of the neck stuff, and you try and put it in the pantheon of great monster days at Thoman Park, and it's already overflowing. You know, if you pick your top ten, there'll be some classics that would have to be in there. I think that has to be top five. Certainly, maybe top three.
5: Uh Maddie, just for a second to go back to Conor Murray's try there. And I'm what really shocks me watching, and obviously I'm not like coming from a rugby background on this, but the idea that uh, to play rugby you have to have this manic aggression, you have to get yourself up to like just this extraordinary emotional pitch, and Thurman Park obviously helps with all of that and all the rest. But Conor Murray walks around like he's in a boardroom, Um, (laughs) you know, and like that. It really strikes me that he, he saw a situation there where. You know, you'd probably get uh, twenty or thirty experts in the pub five hours later saying, "You know, if Murray had picked up at the base of that uh, rock, it actually would have been a try." But the the difference between doing it, you know, sort of in a bar stool five hours later, and having the wherewithal at that exact moment to say there is no downside to me doing this, and there is a ten percent chance that the way the stars have aligned with the various rules that are up for debate here, this try actually stands. To be able to do that in that split second is kind of. The exact opposite of what you expect from a rugby player, you know, given what I've said about sort of manic aggression and all the rest of that, and yet exactly what you expect from Conor Murray.
6: Yeah, leadership, isn't it? Um, it's what you it's what you do, not what you say. And um, it's interesting your concept there, Murph. Uh, I, I think certain positions on a field have you, you need a more heightened level of aggression. There's certainly back rowers and so on, where they're going all day, but. Your 9 and 10 need to be calm and you need to be in that that zone where you're making uh, really good decisions under pressure. And if your emotions are too high, um, you can't do that. And and point at hand is the Italians in the recent Six Nations that cried during the National Anthem and then missed 25 out of 100 tackles. You know, it's no point having this emotion if you can't move it through. And, you, you know... I thought Conor Murray was the man of the, of the Six Nations for my book. Uh, he he did everything. Was exactly as you said. Was calm. Was controlled. His passing and his decision making. You know, and he steps up to the mark. You forget he steps up to the mark and kicks a goal against Wales when Johnny's Jackson's hamstring is is tightening up on him. And he just did everything. And he, I agree with Jerry's summation. All round, his all round game. He's the best scrum half in the world. But you, you never see him... You hardly even see him smile. He's he's so in control of his emotions and the events around him. Uh, he's just a, a man in the peak of his form, in the peak of his career. And let's be honest, Munster without Conor Murray don't win that game. They don't make the semifinals. But that's what you need on the big days. On the really big days, you need your big players to step up and play great. And Conor... That that decision making, as you say, the process he went through in a split second. Uh, that's why he's a world class player. You know, and, and if, if we spin back a number of years uh, to people like Michael Liner uh, when he played for Australia, in that famous quarter final at uh, Lansdowne Road, behind the lo- behind the try line, a minute and a half to go, uh, Ireland have just scored. They don't come out and say, "Come on, boys, try harder." He comes up with a specific plan. Let's kick short. Let's force a scrum. Then we'll play this play. That's why you need your leaders like Connor to keep that calmness and that serenity about them while they make those decisions. And those decisions won Munster that game.
1: This might be hypercritical Jerry, but the two tries were freakish in in different ways. Neither of them came from any sort of pre-planning or anything like that. Is this the, the, the one area that Munster still have a deficit in even when they got a lot of ball in, at, at stages in the second half There's not there wasn't a huge amount of cohesion necessary to their attacking play maybe that's completely irrelevant anyway because they, they did come up with those moments
3: Yeah I know what you mean it, it, the, the tries didn't come off the training ground in any way shape or form they were down to a, a moment of in brilliant individual thinking by Conor Murray, and a, and a brilliant execution by Andrew Conway, um, both emanating from French mistakes, really. You know, Giardo dropping the ball at the base of the Rockland going for pickup, and Francois Tranduque not finding touch, and then his own sluggish chase, and Tua Safoa running infield. So there was lots of mistakes in that defensive line. And they, and they maximised those opportunities. And apart from that, didn't create a whole amount. You're right. And I thought even... Even when they got that attacking platform and Niall Scanlon was denied a try by Matthew Bastrow from the line at Maul, they then go through the phases off of Scrum and definitely they panicked. They went wide too early with Keekly's pa- loopy pass to Wooden and Watson. They didn't have the numbers to execute. And I thought in that moment they might have blown their chance. So, yeah, I think there's some validity in what you say. It is hard to break down a, a defence like Toulon's, uh, whereas you look at Leinster's performance against Saracens and the, way they, the variety with which they dissected. The wolf famed wolf pack defence, whether out wide early on or through the middle or pick and go just in, they they really kept Saracens guessing. There was much more variety to um, Leinster's attacking game than was the case of Munsters. That,
1: that said, defensively, you mentioned Sam Arnold earlier. Mm. He he in particular came in for praises. There's an image of him towards the end, bloody head bandage, face all bashed up. Uh, like you know, he showed that you can actually take down guys like Bastereau if the technique is right and. And I suppose it is technically aggression has to be there. That's a given. But h- how do you think they successfully managed to keep some
3: sort of um, not just on Bastrop, but some sort of tabs on Nanu and Bastrop, these kind of players? I, I think they had a very clear tactic of one shopping low and the second guy in going high, ball in all. and all. they managed, by and large, to limit the um, offloading game of Bastrop, which is almost impossible to do in, in its entirety over eighty minutes. Because I think in what he does in terms of trucking the ball up and freeing his hands to make an offload, I don't know there's a better player around in Europe at doing that. Nanu has added more of a distribution to his game now and was less of a running threat than Bastro. And the one time... I think it was the two locks. I think Billy Holland executed the try and Jean Klein didn't quite get there on Tran Duke to get that, get that double tack tackle on Tran Duke was the one time he got the ball free for Bastro and Ashton runs his trailer. But I think that's what they did. They just successfully, first man in, often Arnold chopped them low, second guy in, came, wrapped his arms around the ball and you have to give great credit to Rory Scanlon as well. I thought he had a mighty match alongside Arnold.
1: Matt, do you think uh, Toulon, maybe it started with the Murray try, or even earlier when they had that disallowed try, when it looked pretty clear that Simon Zebo had slapped the ball deliberately out of play, that that Toulon got a little bit uh, hard on themselves, or maybe just got got that feeling that they felt they were being hard done by, and maybe took their eye off the ball, got a little bit unsettled by some of those TMO decisions?
6: Yeah, without doubt. The French teams, uh, you know, we're we're talking culture here uh, in many ways. Like, the Munster culture at Thomond is just an incredible culture and you know I define culture as the way we do things round here so how how do we act when we're in <clears throat> when we're in Thomond Park and and they act in a way that is just quite extraordinary and, and you know as I said before you lay those two teams out on paper uh Toulon on the better side but culturally when French teams travel that they they are beaten mentally in some ways before they travel. Now, I know that's changed a little bit, but that they still, when things go against them, they can crumble. Uh, La Rochelle, uh, certainly against Scarlets, were, uh, in the other quarterfinal, I felt crumbled emotionally. Now, Toulon weren't as bad, but you've got to say they had some bad calls. <laughs> if we take If we take our Irish goggles off here, there was a couple of shocking calls against them. But they they did allow that to affect them. But that is French rugby, and and even the the plus for Munster is even in Bordeaux, uh, you know, Racing Racing will feel away from home uh, when they play that semi final. So it, it's it's a very interesting um, cultural setup. Uh, I, I thought that Toulon were were much better than they have been in the past in their bigger way fixtures in, in Ireland. I, I thought they were, you know, in, in many ways, I thought they had that game won. They will, they will not be looking at that game saying Munster won the game. They'll be looking at that game saying we lost it, and they did. They did lose that game, and as Jerry pointed out, just small things like not finding touch, like, come on. That's an international 10 in the last minutes of a semifinal? That's just unforgivable. And you pay a price. You, 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 you do those things and you pay a price. Psychologically, th- they, that ball goes into touch. It's a different game. Uh, but it was inches. But culturally, you know, we talk about how they won. Jerry, Jerry very, very uh, astutely spoke about the, the, you know, we call chop and top in the tackle. But th- there's tactically, there's emotion, and, and there's technically, but there is also emotionally. You have to have emotion in the game. And Munster harnessed. harnessed their emotions incredibly well compared to Toulon.
1: How impressed were you with Leinster, Matty?
6: Uh, mate, I'm, look, I'm not just saying it because I coach the guys and I coach Leo and Gervin so they're my friends. But I have just adored watching their rugby this year. i, I got to just come out and say it is just been... I get a great joy out of watching them play that I don't usually get uh, watching rugby in the modern times. They are playing wonderful rugby and as as Jerry said it doesn't matter what the opposition do they've got a plan they can attack you in close they can attack you in the middle and they can attack you out wide but the thing i also love about them is the way they're defending they are defending with a passion they're playing for something more than themselves at the moment leinster and that's a i can't give a team a better compliment they're playing for what do you the club.
1: mean yeah what do you mean by that maddie
6: they they're playing for a cause and, and you see this, you, you know, you see it in all sports, you, 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 you know, Munster do it all the time, you months you, you Munster did it yesterday, or on Saturday rather, but Leinster have done it all year. They, they, I watched the, the dead rubber against Mont, Montpellier and I thought, oh, the boys might, you know, in France, wet day, they might not turn up here, the what have they got to play for? And they were absolutely scintillating, they played incredible rugby in a game that meant nothing. And you see it in the Pro 12. They're they're playing for the jersey. They they want to make their own little bit of history. They want to be part of the club. All these guys almost you know the, the numbers of players wearing that blue jersey that are Leinster kids that that watched my team play and Team Bath play and they, they sat on the sidelines and said I want to be part of that. Leinster have now got that in their system where where the dream of those players was to play for Leinster like a kid in Manchester looking across the fence saying, I want to play for Manchester United, and he makes it. But very few Manchester kids do that. But the beauty of what Leinster have is the vast majority of their organisation are Leinster people. They they played their junior rugby in the province. They went to the games. They watched Leinster teams play in the past, and they said, I want to be part of that. I want to play for that club. They're my heroes. I want to be part of it. And when you're born and bred in an area and you're playing for your jersey because of its history, because of what it means to you and you're making these sacrifices to do it, you you, you play with a great passion. Uh, You know, I I, I can only speak my own part. I I wanted to play for my club because my dad played for that club. That was, I didn't care about any other club. Now in professional times, you're not necessarily seeing that, but you're seeing it with this Leinster side. And it's not just the passion, you know, the the precision that they're playing with in their offloading game. As I said, I watched their warm-up and the, the, the principles don't change over generations. What Leo and Gervin have the guys doing is very simple rugby, but it is done immaculately well. And as I said, in, in the warm-ups, I didn't see a drop ball. I saw footwork. I saw change of angle. I saw support players attacking the ball, beautiful passing, com- complete commitment to excellence just in the warm-ups. And then that's why you're seeing it in the game. You know, Leinster are going to have some difficulties because they're the favourites. They're the best team in Europe right now by a considerable margin. They are by some standard uh, above everyone else. And that's saying something. And, and can, I, can I just say, they are an absolute joy to watch. They, you know, you, you come away from watching this team play at the moment and it reaffirms everything you love about the game. They offload, they pass, they, they're positive, they don't play a negative tactic, they're passionate, they tackle with commitment. They're disciplined, and and you can see they're giving to the guy next to them. It's it's an absolute pleasure, you know. And Leo and Leo and and the whole uh, team, they deserve massive credit, massive credit for what they're putting together there at the club, uh, because for, of all the reasons. They're not bringing in a lot of overseas players. They're producing their own boys to come into it. Their academies, their sub academies, are, are, are just churning out wonderful young players. We looked at the Six Nations. Uh, Game and all those young players, uh, and that says a lot about the whole organisation—not not just the first fifteen of the club.
3: Yeah, I was talking to a few mates in Lansdowne last night about this kind of thing, and uh, yeah, nobody doubts Munsters desire to reach their holy grail again. I mean, Conor Murray, Peter O'Mani and others were in the in the ground in the final in two thousand eight when they saw their boyhood heroes lift the trophy for a second time in three years, and they've. Been to five semi-finals since and lost them all. They have a huge, burning desire to become Munster legends themselves—Pirro, Mahony, Conor Murray and so forth. Uh, likewise, Leinster have very much the same desire. As Matty says, you know, they've just come up against clubs backed by millionaires with vastly bigger playing budgets, signing stellar names, World Cup winners, and so forth and so on—lion stars, whatever else—and they've dethroned the winners of the, for the last five years in, in, in one weekend. Yeah by a largely home-produced group of players with one or two expert signings from abroad. And, you know, that's, that's key as well, that you have a few of them. But it's so home-produced, there's no, other, there's no other really clubs like them in Europe. And we've spoken about Leinster's conveyor belt, it's Ajax of the 90s. Although, you know what I mean, it's that, it's that, there's nothing like it in the world even possibly right now. But they have every much, as much desire in Leinster as they do in Munster for a variety of reasons. They were a joy to watch last season too like Stuart Lancaster has been a one the rich irony in England finishing 5th in the Six Nations and not having a semi-finalist for the first time since 2012 is that Andy Farrell and Stuart Lancaster have been two, one of the two key component parts mm. in the rejuvenation of Irish rugby which is a delicious irony to it and Lancaster what he's done with their attacking game has been phenomenal and but the players are always very quick to praise Very, him, very, very quick to and say they have La- been. Lancaster
1: on an individual basis yes. uh, they've, they've done it about one on ones yeah. and also just as a team the yeah. players say he's done a lot for us they
3: really look forward to going to training again you know it's just, it's just. He's been, he's been magnificent for them. He's a good guy, he's a genuine bloke, and he's a wonderful record in developing young talent and bringing it through. He doesn't, you know, age is a, is, is a number to him, and he's done it with that. The core of that English team that Eddie Jones succeeded was all blooded by Stuart Lancaster and Andy, Andy Farrell, but they also have the memory of losing two semi semi-finals last year. They played fantastic rugby, streets ahead of everybody else in Europe for much of last season as well, scored the most tries and so forth, and then came up short in their two semifinals. So they've got that memory as well, to atone for that. Um, similarly, the new breed want to be part of that success that they witnessed as kids growing up, the three and four years. You've got... The older guard like Johnny Sexton, Rob Kearney, desperately want to get that fourth star in their crest, equal the Toulouse record. You've got a guy like Jordy Murphy, who knows he's leaving at the end of the season. Um, so they've all this motivation as well. And they are the best team in the competition, and that's almost unnerving, because the Scarlets are going to bring a whole host of different problems to what Saracens did. Much more variety, much more of an offloading game than Saracens produce. But it's funny how Touchwood... The best team invariably wins this competition, even though there's a knockout element to it at the end. You think well, back to when Toulouse were in their pomp, when you think Wasps were in their pomp, Leinster, Munster, Laterally, Toulon and then Saracens. The best teams, with the obvious exception, maybe of Clermont one year, have invariably won this competition. Um, the only problem now is that they're fifteen. They're fifteen to eight on favorites, so they're unbackable. <laughs> yeah, well,
1: Saracens were, di- were disappointed. I don't know if we have to harp on too much
3: about them. Um,
1: certainly, in attack, as you say, they, they, they just didn't offer as much as a lot of um, you know, as you'd expect of a team as great as they have been for the last couple of years. Defensively, they seem to have a very clear objective to <laughs> get at the Irish out half they're not the first team to try this one now afterwards uh, Mark McCall said that no we uh, well, we were trying to get at him in the sense that we just wanted to rush him into decisions and make him make his plays pass it or kick it a bit quicker than he ideally wanted to uh, the problem with their plan was that it seemed to backfire a bit certainly according to Leo Cullen it opened up little pockets of space around the place that they were actually able to exploit which teams maybe have to be aware of when they play against Sexton if this thing of trying to rush him doesn't actually necessarily work
3: and do you think back to that um, lawn raking kick by Guy Ringrose into the corner um, which led to one of the scores I think that was from Naseba going in and out half as first receiver and Johnny Sexton getting the ball in a bit more space he runs hard fixes two defenders and then releases Ringrose um, they're a very intelligent team Leinster they work things out on the pitch and uh, I think in regards to targeting of Johnny Sexton, I think we'd be much more angry about it if Saracens had somehow pulled off an unlikely victory. Then we'd be looking at it. certainly. I thought Maro Toge's was a cheap shot. I thought um, the one by Richard Wigglesworth, if you look at it again, he leaves the ground and puts his shoulder um, high into Sexton to round about his chin area. And I've, I'm, I'm don't blame Saracens so much and and Wigglesworth so much. It's the officials, the French TMO has a duty of care to the players on the pitch, and he should have brought Jerome Garcia's attention to that.
1: Some incidents are difficult to spot in the middle of a game. That wasn't. That's that's really clear, because that's where the ball is. That was a
3: yellow card all day long, and rugby is a care of duty, like I said, to its players. Mm.
1: Uh, What did you make of the... the, uh, Dan Levy is the one who's getting most of the praise. Matt certainly got Man of the Match award. Well-deserved, do you think?
6: Yeah, the young man's just grown in stature over the last few months. Uh, He he was a good player, and uh, I, I remember talking to Shane Jennings, about him, asking him some questions. And uh, Shane was a very good back rower himself and he really rated him. But it, it, I think he's a classic example of you, you put a guy in an environment and you don't know where their growth will stop. And, and he's one of those players. He's just maturing. He got better during the Six Nations with, his, with the opportunities he had there. And I thought he had an outstanding game. He's grown and improved. And that beauty of putting these young guys in these environments, is that they do grow. Henry Henry's a great example of that, where he was on the bench for many years, really, got his opportunity through some, some injuries and just took off. And, and I, I thought Livy's played outstanding uh, rugby in the last few months. And, and he, you can see they, the, the other thing they get is they get a self-belief. They start saying, I, I feel comfortable here, I belong here, I, I know I can do better. They're not intimidated by it. And in a big stage... Uh, he, he did a great job, and just to pick up on Jerry's point there, I, I completely agree that it was the officials that were at fault. That uh, you got a Sexton has to be looked after. This is this and officials. People have to know going into a game that he's getting hit late. He's not getting hit late once or twice. Everyone gets hit late once or twice because other players make errors and so on. But Johnny Sexton is getting hit late every game, and, and you know it's it's right out of order at the moment. You know once or twice, yeah. That why that official didn 't act on wiggleworth 's hit is beyond me, and you know if I was uh, uh, Mick dawson, the CEO of leinster i 'd be i 'd be starting to put some pressure on the referees before the game in a nice way saying listen you've got you, you got to make sure that this world class player is not being treated illegally and with foul play because he is uh, i I thought it was a very a couple of very very poor decisions. Uh, as far as looking after the 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 well being of the player around the field and, and the officials should hang their heads in shame and you certainly hope in the future that that, that justice is done There was a
1: moment, Jerry before the England Ireland game the Grand mm-hmm. Slam game when their players are on the way out of the field. And I just saw Dan Levy give Rory Best a little squeeze on the shoulder, a little kind of encouraging pat on the shoulder. and I just found it kind of striking because <laughs> Rory Best has got about a million caps. <laughs> he's a captain of the team, has been in this environment a million times. Levy hasn't. is one of his first few caps. And he feels comfortable enough to give a bit of a G up to a guy w- with all that experience. Like He has this sort of a mental edge to his game that I think is uh, ideal for high-level sport and for the kind of environment that he's in on a weekly basis question is, what happens if Sean O'Brien is back available? Yeah. Van der Whoa. Fleer, obviously Dan Levy will still play, but what do you yeah. do if Rhys is back now? Mm. You've got all these Jack guys. Conan. Jack Conan. and obviously uh, Fardy deputised well yeah. yesterday. Yeah. If
3: everyone's available, what's your back row for Heineken Cup semi-final? Well, you're fight? right. Levy's the first that's his form at the moment mm. um, so he's first in and then it's a question putting two around him Reese Ruddick was playing some sensational rugby before his injury if he it'll be very interesting over the next two weeks they've got a unlike Munster they've got an ideal build up you would have thought of their semi final two home games against Zebra and Benetton and they can rotate their squad have a look at a few players and presumably Sean O'Brien and Rhys Ruddock might get a few games and maybe Jack Cohn as well so it's a really difficult one to pick um, Levy yeah Reese Ruddock at his best yeah and Sean O'Brien at eight? Yeah. Yeah, you have to get Sean O'Brien. Sean O'Brien is world-class. You know, he's, he's when he's fitting well, just, he's just missed out on too much through injury over his career. But when he's fitting well, as he showed in the Lions tour, he's genuinely world-class. And there's another one. If Joe Schmidt should ever have Dan Levy, Sean O'Brien, CJ Stander and Peter O'Mani to name just four... Available for the same week. My goodness me, he's got some headache picking three from that. Jerry, you punctured my optimism at the start, but you've built it
1: back up over the course of this conversation <laughs> and back to believing in an all Irish uh, Champions Cup final. Thanks so much. <laughs> thanks very much, Matt.
0: Cheers, thanks. Pleasure, ghost. Never forget the true nature of this city.
3: Listen, you screwheads. Here is a man Wake up. who would not take it anymore. A man who stood up against the scum, the dogs, the filth. Here is someone who stood up. And this bike, by the way,
0: I'd only had for two weeks.
3: What happened to it? Dublin happened to it.
0: Dublin has kicked the shit out of the bike. There was a few minutes when I blithely believed that I lived in a civilized city. I arrived home. It was already dark. There was rain and mud everywhere. Oh my God, this town! So I thought to myself, no need to drag my bike through the house, given that all I'm doing is, you know, getting changed and getting my stuff and going to the pool. So, I'll just leave it here beside the front door. Not on the street. I was in the house for probably for eight to ten minutes. What the fuck? I said, I don't know. I haven't put up a bike in ages. Just give me some. And there's nobody on the street. And it's dark. And there's not even any foot traffic. Open the door. Bike's gone. Oh my god, this town! It's actually been taken from outside my front door in an eight-minute period of being unguarded. And this bike, by the way, I'd only had for two weeks. This bike was given to me by my brother. Oh, my God, this town. And I'm thinking, why? What happened to it? Dublin happened to it. Never forget the true nature of this city.
1: It was a pretty hectic weekend between the Champions Cup semi-finals and the league finals. Ken, you got to tell us what the people possibly miss in the football world? Not a lot. What about the renaissance-like photograph of Deli Ali being abused by Chelsea fans? That That, seemed to be
0: the highlight. That was the best bit, definitely. Um, One of those brilliant photos that you sometimes get. I don't know why they don't just... Why it isn't basically every football photo. Just get that angle so that you can see all the the fans behind the goal in response to it. I mean, because the best football photograph I can think of is probably the one when Michael Owen misses a chance against Manchester United in front of the cop, and every single person in the photograph apart from the Manchester United players have got their I've uh, got their head in their hands including all the Liverpool players and Michael Owen who's lying on his back he's just lifted his head off the grass to, so that he can put his hands on his head behind his head and every single person is that this was a bit uh, different uh, in terms of it was uh, angry Chelsea fans watching Dele Ali celebrate in front of them Um and reacting in different ways, um, but yeah, probably. The, I mean, it was it was a good it was a good display by Tottenham. Oh no, I'm not leaving the photograph yet because oh, yeah. I think people might be getting
1: online right now to look at it if they haven't seen it already. Who's your favourite car- sub character within the moment? Because what I saw originally was the photograph itself. Then different people have helpfully zoomed in on different characters in the background that I didn't even see. First of all, I mean my own favourite mm. is the Let Me Adam Big Fella at the back. Mm. Hold me back. There's yeah. a guy as though he's about to run down 25 flights of stairs to get onto the pitch to assault Deli Alli, which wasn't going to happen. But then there are other people in the background who you don't even see at first glance.
0: Mm. Um, every, everyone is funny in their own way. Uh, there's a guy at the back who, kind of a bearded man who's watching with an air of resignation, uh, just with one, just uh, flipping Deli Alli the bird with one hand while keeping his other arm folded across his chest in a kind of disinterested manner, uh, as though he's just saying, you know, my heart's not really in this, but I know what I've got to do as a Chelsea fan at this moment. So it was impressive, I swear, as you're saying. Um, Great goals. Um, I mean, Chelsea, it's it's another one of these kind of brittle performances by Chelsea where they start out well. I mean, we saw the same thing against Barcelona. We saw the same thing against Manchester United where they start off uh, well. Uh, actually get into the lead and then just kind of fade from the game. And Tottenham really, Tottenham scored brilliant goals. Uh, The Eriksen strike from like nearly 30 yards. The Dele Alli's first goal was absolutely brilliant. The the second Deli Alley goal was also a fantastic move by Tottenham. Um, So fully deserved to win. And Chelsea are pretty much, it's very difficult to see them coming back and getting into the Champions League. So they've done this now twice in a row but win the title and then fall out of the Champions League in the following mm. uh in the following season which is uh you know which is a which is a big change from the consistency that they used to uh that they used to show but you know I mean I think more generally it was not a very good weekend of football I mean there was you know you turned on the Man City Everton game oh it's already 3-0 to Man City how are they even playing and the same thing and okay maybe maybe the Dortmund Bayern game or Bayern Dortmund game would be more oh it's already 3-0 to Bayern my god it's 4-0 oh it's 5-0 at halftime to Bayern this is this is just this is stupid you know we've lost a, we've lost a, a match up there we've lost the game i mean it's kind of it's sad what's happened to Dortmund i mean the, they have still got like i was looking at the i mean the lineup still had four starters i think from like the Jurgen Klopp time including Götze who obviously boomeranged, back to Dortmund. Um, but really, they're, they're, they're nothing like the team that they used to be. And it was sort of interesting looking at the, when you look at Tottenham Chelsea, Alderweireld wasn't in the team either. And it looks as though Alderweireld is is going to be gone, even though he was probably their best defender last season. They've just decided that they can't pay him what he's looking for, and so he's going to be leaving. Which I think is uh, brave by Tottenham. But they should look at Dortmund and see... What could be in their future, you know? I mean, it, the, Dortmund's problem is partly that they've given all their, you know, all the, their best players are went to Barn, you know, including Goodson, who turned out wasn't good enough for Barn, so now he's back at Dortmund. But you know, Hummels, Lewandowski, this kind of situation, it's very difficult to keep going if that's going to happen to you year after year. And I think Tottenham may be a little bit casual about losing a player of Alvarado's ability.
1: So it sounds like you're sort of nonplussed by the weekend's football, Ken thankfully we've got a Champions League knockout matches to look forward to during the week and we'll cover all of those on Thursday's Champions League podcast on the World Service right now Ushi McConville has arrived into us Ushi, happy Easter happy Easter morning uh, lads thanks very much for making it into us Murphy here has been celebrating Galway's
2: four point defeat all morning <laughs> what did you make of it he's delighted yeah funny uh, a text morph before the game yesterday and uh, he said that he'd be happy if the grim had eight points of, of Dublin he'd be happy I mm. uh, said Dublin probably win by four so, uh, is <laughs> <laughs> that really what you said? <laughs> but, uh, look, no, it, it was it was a good game. Uh, I think, um, Galway got as much out of the league as they probably could have hoped for. Uh, and Dublin just walked away with another title, having introduced probably another eight, nine players, uh, through the league. And, and, uh, they just look as, they look as good as ever. Um, people are saying that maybe that. They've fallen off a little bit over the last number of weeks. Uh, personally speaking, I think that he's been very cute and that he's kept them all sort of eager. Um, I think it's difficult when you keep uh, winning to to keep that uh, that freshness, but he's been able to do that by introducing new players, and he's he's been very adept at that actually. And um, everybody who comes in seems to be. As comfortable as the lad who's making way. Ah, listen, you've already brought up onto the dubs. We're giving Galway <laughs> we're
1: giving Galway a bit of airtime first before we get into all that. Murph, why were you so pleased with uh, what you saw yesterday?
5: Because, because there was more at stake yesterday for Galway than the sort of binary win lose kind of scenario. I mean, there were th- three scenarios really. There was a seventy five percent chance probably that Dublin were going to beat them by ten or twelve points. Maybe a twenty percent chance that Galway perform creditably and lose by. You know, under five, and then there's a five percent chance that Gola would have won the game. So I think in that sort of a situation, you know, that that was about as good as you could have reasonably expected from Gola, because you have to remember that like, Gola were playing in the Division Two final last year uh, against Kildare, and they had been beaten by Tipperary six months before that. So the level of progression from where uh, where they were at this stage last year, say before they'd beaten Kildare in that in that uh Division 2 final They hadn't won in Crow Park Since 2001 So You know There was a lot of ground To be met up there And What was at stake yesterday Was Really that Galway Had to Galway had to make sure that, as o- Oisin said, that the momentum that they'd built up wasn't all completely gone by 6 o'clock yesterday. And there was a chance that if Dublin had really stuck and put a number on Galway, had like beaten them as they've beaten Derry in league finals in the past, but you know, came, down from, came back from 10 points down to beat Cork by 8 points in a semi-final in 2014, was it, or something. Like, they've been known to end, you know, seasons before the championship has even begun with a really devastating blow to a team's confidence. And so... For Galway to come through all of that, perform credibly, you know, a bloody Dublin's nose a bit, you know, get in their face a little bit, uh, kick some great scores, and really show that they belong at this level. I mean, come August, if they're playing in All Ireland semi-final, they don't have to fear, you know, have to fear that necessarily. I mean, it's not like Dublin are the Kerry team of the 1980s, where the league is just, you know, forget about it. Like, Dublin do take the league seriously, and if you play them in a league final, it's a real test. Like, it is a real test. So, you know, sure, there was a 5% chance Galway were going to win the league final, but in the absence of them winning it, that was pretty much as good as, we, as Galway could have hoped for.
2: I think the, the positives that I've seen from Galway so far is that they're able to match Dublin and that they're physical enough. Um, I think the only other team that I really see doing that is Mayo, uh, who are able to stick with them. Who The thing I liked about Galway is that there seems to be the belief that, you know, they don't have to take a backward step against the lakes of Dublin, that physically they're able to match up to them and they're able to stand up to them. And teams have done that against Dublin befo- before, but if it's only lasted maybe 40 minutes mm. and they haven't had the power to go on and see it out. Uh, and go will look like a team who can possibly do that in the future. Uh, there's a serious buy-in. Like If you're trying to think what has changed dramatically over the last 18 months, with maybe the last 12, 18 months with this goal, Galway team, it just seems to be simple that people have bought into it. They've seen a little bit of a chink of light and they thought, maybe success is round the corner for this team. And they, they look in better shape. Um, they ha- obviously have worked on the system that they're, that they're playing. Um, the negatives is that somebody always suffers through the system. If I look back on Jim McGuinness's reign, I look at Patrick McBrady and I look at the footballer he is today, and he was somebody who really struggled under that regime. He was in, he was out of the team. When I look at Galway, there's a couple of players who could possibly suffer as a result. Not Damien Comer, he seems to be able to, to play anywhere and and be effective anywhere. Shane Walsh, I think, is somebody who who could str- struggle with this system. Or uh, I wouldn't say he hasn't bought into it, but I just think that... Uh, his role has to be a little bit more defined than it than it actually is um, at the minute. I thought he was very much on the periphery of the game yesterday, and he's one of Galway's best players. So if you can get him into it, you know that's something that can bridge that four or five point gap or or whatever it is. But it's amazing because the 13th of May is so important to both of these teams now, and that's that's coming very very quickly on the back of supposedly four weeks away from your county team, you know? So uh it's just it just leaves it a it's it's a very early uh, normally we talk about maybe a, a Donegal or or a Tyrone playing an Ulster or something, but this honestly to me is probably as far as early season championship matches is probably the most important one we've had in some time. Are Galway just ultra defensive the though?
5: <laughs> Boradors. I
2: like it. Thanks, um
5: well it's interesting because a lot of people have been talking about Paddy Talley and you know, the impact of Paddy Talley, And there's no doubt about it, Paddy Talley has had an impact on this Galway team. But in the 2016 count final against Roscommon, the drawn game in Pear Stadium, Galway are playing this system. Yeah. So this idea that Galway have all of a sudden on the back of, you know, the Northern influence of Paddy Tally, like, honestly, Ulster people must get so annoyed at this. Like, you know, Kevin Welch comes in, like, as Galway as can be, Instals this system two years ago, the players are just getting better at it, but the arrival of a northern coach automatically means, "Oh well, Galway have like you know burnt the burnt you know an effigy of Sean Purcell you know because you know like it's bizarre like I do find it very strange. What's happened with with Galway certainly is that they're not more defensive, but I think they are more cynical, and maybe that's so any impact that Paalia has had I think is more on mindset than on the actual shape. Of the team.
2: So you think we weren't going to get annoyed a minute ago? You? <laughs> <laughs> you didn't bring down defensive football, but you did bring down cynicism. Yeah,
5: yeah no, th- th- I think that's fair. Uh, no, but it, like, that's what's changed with Galway. Also, last year, uh, Galway arrived at an Ireland quarterfinal with no capability of handling Kieran Donahue. And I think that this sort of thing has a real impact on teams' mindset. That if you... It's, it's kind of like... I was, I was thinking about this yesterday. It's kind of like if you're quite bad at golf, right? Okay. And... I can definitely identify yeah. this one. Continue. And you can't hit driver off the... T- you just... You don't know what to do with the driver as a club, right? So you're you're standing on a tee box. You're holding a 7-iron. And you're like, this isn't golf. You know, you can get pars. You know, you can, like, bomb, bomb hit three really good 7-iron shots. Hold a putt. It's a par. Well done. But you're not playing the game. Like, you're not actually... You're not playing the game as it's meant to be played, right? So we went into the the Gola went into the the Kerry quarterfinal last year with a fullback who had never who had never really played a championship, and Gole asked him to do a job on one of the best full forwards of the last twenty years, and it you know that, that the the idea that okay we don't have anyone to handle Kieran Donohue therefore we have to do something daft to try and handle Kieran Donahue, that kind of goes through a team, particularly a team that haven't really won a whole lot like that hurts your confidence when you say we don't have the manpower here we don't have the personnel now Sean Andy O'Calley is going to make some mistakes he made a big mistake in the last minute of the game got turned over dublin got the fourth point to, to ensure the win but Sean Andy O'Calley is a brilliant footballer is a brilliant fullback and he and Peter Cook at midfield gives Galway uh, a spine so you can see the team that's what Sean Andy O'Calley was given the number 3 jersey on the 1st of January he's going to be there for the rest of the year So the personnel uh, additions have been huge in the last nine or ten weeks. And that's something that maybe gets overlooked because it's easy to say Paddy Talley came in with a defensive sort of mindset. Also, as you say, the players are buying into it so much more. Uh, And I think maybe that 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 may be a Paddy Talley influence. It might also just be, we've beaten Mayo two years in a row. We're coming here. You know, we won five games in Division 2 last year. We won a final you know, sure, we let ourselves down badly against Ross Common in the Final, badly against Kerry, but we're winning more games than we're losing now. And so, you know, it's th- th- this kind of uh, idea can very quickly set in that in January, he arrived, Galway are transformed. I think
2: there's a lot more to it yeah.
5: than just, just his influence.
2: No, I would agree with that. I think, you know, Galway have been the semblance of this system for some time. I think... Uh, I think Tally can add to it I think he can he can tweak it a little bit and he can play a little bit the way St Mary's played to, to win the Seikersen. Yeah. although I still think that uh, there's a certain mindset needed to play that game and not everybody has that mindset and that may there may be collateral damage along the way, and some of that collateral damage may be very good footballers. Mm. And that has been the collateral damage that has happened with also teams in the past. I also think that when Galway look at this particular video, um, when they go back and they do the video analysis and what, what went on yesterday, there's a huge learning curve for them. Uh, as far as you, Dean Rock's goal chance, the way the ball went through the hands for that that particular uh, that particular chance yeah. was phenomenal. Mm. Okay, players because coming off the shoulder, at brilliant angles. Galway had a couple of opportunities to do that. The part, the one that I would pick out was the Paul Conroy one towards the end of the game. Three two men go, running two off, his, down, two yeah. men running off his right hand shoulder. One man running off his left hand shoulder, and he dummies and he tries to he tries to kick it over. Drops short, and Dublin go up the field and get and get a point. When you when you sit in front of a, of of that. In a, in a room and you're going through it and you pick that situation out and there's a couple more situations they can pick out there's huge learning in that and and that's something that uh, Galway will need to do they need to become a lot more unselfish like the way uh, like the way Dublin have become
1: well and particularly when whatever way you dice it up when you, you approach the game with a predominantly defensive attitude By definition, when you have your chances, you've got to be pretty clinical with them. So you actually have to fine-tune that game. That's nearly nearly the most important part of a defensive game plan is being able to take the few chances that you do get. And we saw that even with Tyrone's game plan falling apart against Dublin last year. They just couldn't get it, couldn't get... They, well, at first, that's maybe a bad example. It was just a complete malfunction. But you do have to be particularly clinical if you're only going to get X amount of chances per game.
2: Yeah, you do, you do have to be very, very clinical in that system. And there's players in that Galway team who are very, very clinical. Yeah. Uh, His decision making Yeah, uh, Comer's decision making Yesterday was phenomenal I don't think he made The wrong decision At any stage During the game And I think One thing he was able to do He was able to be direct And go at the Dublin defence And get Five, six free kicks Whatever he got Kicked a uh, couple of uh, Very, very good scores Uh, Looks very comfortable In whatever role he plays But as I say There's a couple of players Who maybe just haven't uh, Got there with it yet And You know, that Conroy uh, That Conroy the, uh, opportunity when he's coming up the field and he's got two guys there there was a goal opportunity there was a possible goal opportunity but worst case scenario you've got to come away with a point and then you got to press the kick out mm. do you know what I mean and uh, that probably just didn't happen enough for Galway yesterday
1: you said that you think the dubs are as good as ever which is is not the view shared by everybody uh, we won't really know until the championship kicks off Gavin was Jim Gavin, not that (laughs) he's going to say too much after a match, but he was very clear in setting out how impressed he was with the the desire that the team have shown so far this year and they've won another league campaign despite everything they've won so far. While they're as composed on the ball as ever um, and as mentally resilient, have they lost a little bit of the swashbuckling nature of their play over maybe the last year?
2: Yeah, well, I just think that at this time of year, swashbuckling football and the and the conditions we've had, just probably, uh, you know, that they're probably not a good marriage at this stage. Defensively, I would say that they may have gone back a little. Right. Defensively, I think they might have gone by the a, a fair few scores. Um, but other than that, uh, the reason why I think they're as good as as good as they've ever been is because they've managed to be able to to get to where they got there and to win a league, introducing players who are uh very inexperienced and are able to go go into the team and do a job. And uh when I look at the team that played yesterday, um you know, Scully, Howard, you know I'm not sure if they're the right fit for for going into the championship. You probably can afford to play one of them but not both of them. And that's where the legs of, of O'Connolly or, or somebody like that, a- well, yeah. or Costello or whoever comes con- back into the, into the uh, mix. But yeah.
1: a con- a Connolly, I mean, nobody knows whether he's going to be around for the championship. Chrissy O'Connor wrote a piece in the Sunday Times this weekend saying that he's not playing any football, or hurling for that matter, with the dubs obviously. But also with St. Vincent's, he's just taking a complete break from it. He just needs time out, as uh, O'Connor said everyone's a little bit confused as to how long that timeout is going to be and how long does Jim Gavin wait. Nobody knows what kind of conversations have happened behind the scenes, but it is a funny one. It's a, it's a player who should be at the peak of his powers, maybe not available for Dublin this year. He's
2: played a, he's played a huge amount of football if you consider what he's done with his club and his county. Um, so I don't think that the actual timeout will do him any sort of harm. I've been more worried about Jim Gavin getting a little bit prickly when he's asked about it. Do you know what I mean? And... Uh, you know, the indecision. I don't understand the indecision. I mean, surely that the lines of communication are open, and if they are open, then Jim Gavin should have been able to say it was yesterday, well, you know, he, he'd he be back in two weeks or he'd be back in three weeks or a timescale or whatever. You know, because uh, the thing about the dubs is that they probably won't really kick in the proper training until maybe uh, the middle of May or maybe coming towards the end of May when they really start to uh, zone in on the championship. Because I think... Uh, in Dublin there's a couple of rounds of championships so probably the next three or four weeks are completely out. So he has an opportunity to uh to refine that that uh um
5: if Jeremy Connolly doesn't play for Vincent in the first two rounds of the Dublin Senior Football Championship, it's pretty hard to make an argument that he's gonna play for Dublin later I in the c- summertime.
2: I can't see him not playing for St Vincent's in in the in the mm. Dublin Championship and I can't see him not being involved for Dublin this year. I, I don't care what's going on behind the scenes. I'm, I'm pretty sure that uh, whatever has gone on behind the scenes, or whatever is happening, that it can be sorted out. I don't think it's a. I don't think there's a. I don't think there's a, a massive problem. I think Connley is Conley's a. He's looking. He's one of the best Gaelic footballers we've ever seen, and he probably is annoyed that he's not getting a little bit more game time. Especially coming towards the end of last year's championship, when we all thought that he was going to have a massive part to play, and he had a very, very small part to play, and I say that that is annoying him. But I say if Jim Gavin does get him back and he gets him back in the right frame of mind, well, then that's why you would have to think that it's it's a scary thought when you when we've named well we we can we can go with O'Gara, we can go with Daryl Conley, go with Cormac Costello, go with Paddy Andrews, none of them. You know, really played much of a part yesterday, apart from mm. uh, Costello. So, is there a danger though that,
1: and the reports are that he isn't going to be playing for St Vincent's? You seem to think that he probably will. That if he doesn't, that's a different thing than just taking a break from the Dubs. You step away from the intercounty scene. I can I can see why a player's it's, it's no harm to do that every now and again. I would say and just get take the pressure off a little bit. But if you're not playing for your club, it does it not show that you're... It strikes p- at something deeper. Isn't yeah, it? you've fallen out of love with the game, yeah, which isn't necessarily... I don't know, I'm sure you've seen this happen to players, not Absolutely. as helpful as him, but you, you do see players who just more get and more, fed up with more it. Yeah, more and yeah. more
2: players, are, more and more, that's happening to more and more players. Uh, as I say, I expect him to play for St. Vincent's, um, but if he doesn't play for St. Vincent's and he does take some, uh, take some time away, that, that still has to come down to... That has to be a massive blow for the Dubs. Has to be a huge blow. And... From the from the answer that Jim Gavin gave yesterday, it's obvious that maybe Damon Connolly doesn't know what his time mm. scale is, as in when he wants to come back or whatever. But I'd still be surprised if he doesn't, because 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 he's given so much to St. Vincent's, and it's he seems to be really like like I mentioned here a couple of times about you know Cross usually plays St. Vincent's. That's at the start uh, before any championship kicks off and last year they, they played them in I think it was August or at uh, one stage they played them in September it was the night before the All-Ireland replay and he was there at the match <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And that, and he was—he was about at half time And he was having a, a bit of a kick about with the boys. And so he's a good club man, as yeah, they said. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he's a good Once club it. man, and I think it means a lot to him. Like you know, yeah,
5: there are Dublin players who. Could so you're right. I'll be, clubs, I, I will
2: be—I would be massively worried if he doesn't play for St. Vincent's okay. from a from a Dublin point of view. And from a football point of view for for Daniel Connolly's sake. Well, I think that's what we have to keep an eye on then over the next few Absolutely. weeks. Listen,
1: O'Shane, brilliant stuff. Thanks, mate, for coming in.
2: Thanks guys What you? What are you saying? You're just a phony,
0: man. This is just what. I- I don't look like the athlete of the day. It's supposed to look. This
3: ain't wrestling. This ain't the WWE, baby. My belly's just a little big. My heart is just a little big. This is just an act that you're doing. You should be an actor. But brother, I am bad and they know I'm bad.
4: I'll never do that. There
3: were two bad people. One was trying to win and he's there, brother. And the other was right here. You, you can run around like you a preacher and all that you want. But baby, I promise you, I will baptize you. Oh. You
4: can't
1: teach that Sorry to do that to you again You're looking even more concerned than you were at the start of the show Where's Dermot? Where is Dermot? So Connolly just needs time out As I said, as reported by Christy O'Connor He's not even training with St. Vincent's The club of four big senior hurling and football championship matches in April And Connolly isn't expected to play in any of them Connolly has other priorities at the moment outside of football and that's where his focus currently lies. He could be back over the summer. The whole Dublin footballing public desperately hope he will be, but it's not unrealistic to think that Connolly may not play for Dublin again this year. Those priorities aren't outlined in the article. Hmm. So I don't know what that actually means as a line, but myself and Ken here, Murphys Dubs, are getting a little bit concerned.
5: Yeah, I mean, I think no one expected... the. It's a great piece by Christy O'Connor and uh, very informative from the point of view of Him not having any any interest in playing for Vincent's, which is, as Ushin has been discussing there, pretty hard to wrap your head around, really. Um, And it's just, you know, like that level of disinterest in April does not lead you to think that you can be that interested and that tuned in in August. Could
1: argue it's better to be disinterested in April. Get those interest levels peaked around mm. July time. Yeah, well, obviously not if you are with a weaker county, but if you are with Dublin, there there is the the luxury there that Jim Gavin can maybe just wait for him to come around or whatever the case may be. Yeah,
5: well, I think if you if you take two weeks off in April, absolutely. I mean, you know, county panels are breaking up as we speak. You know, Maria, for uh, this month that's been supposedly dedicated to the clubs, but I mean, that you know that's fine. Like Connolly has been back in the Dublin jersey this this league. You know, he was. Cogged out for one of the league games and hasn't been seen since so yeah. it's not like it's just been like oh i'm just pissed off for the last 10 days it appears as if you know and again as mentioned in christy's piece wasn't there for the didn't go on the team holiday wasn't there for the Ireland final you know uh, photograph the medal presentation this is not a you know i'm having a bad couple of weeks i'm just not feeling feeling it at the moment it's it's a bit longer term than that. And there and are no, there's no, inf- no
1: clear information. And Management teams are within their rights to keep things under wraps if they want to, but they have to understand that if you don't say something definitive like he'll be back at the end of the league or something like that, then of course everyone's just going to guess and if, maybe If your see answer him, to back, will no. he
5: be back is please God, as Jim Gavin said <laughs> yesterday, <laughs> that's not going to assuage too many people, I don't think.
0: It's not really enough for me, to be honest. Yeah. From Jim Gavin. Mm.
1: Yeah. I mean. What do you want to hear?
0: I wanna hear piteous cries uh begging Dermot Connolly I wanna smell frankincense, drink offerings, savour of burnt sacrifice. This is what I want. I uh, I don't know how else you're gonna get Dermot Connolly to stop silking in his tent. But you know, he needs to um uh, is it ego? Is it ego on the
1: side on of Dermot Connolly or is, on the part of there's, Jim
5: there's, Gavin refusing is there to Is there
0: something in, in Jim? Uh, Gavin, leader of this, you know, latest in the in the long line of of uh, very successful Dublin managers in recent years, that you know um, makes him sort of balk at the prospect of basing himself, crawling to Dermot Connolly and begging him mm. to come back to the team. Well,
1: I would say he's second in a line of really successful managers. Well, there's,
0: that- a, there's a line. He's he's the, he's the latest in the line. If yeah. you're in- he's not the first, and he won't be the last. <laughs> Owen. You know, and. Yeah. uh, uh, I want the De- I want the champ, mm-hmm. you know. I think, and I think I speak for every everyone, uh, me, you, Roy Curtis, all of the Dublin uh, supporting legends. Uh, when I say we want Dermo. right? It's just not the same without him. And uh, and if 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 Jim Gavin's got to grovel a little bit and and weep in the dust a little bit at the, at the feet of Dermot Connolly, if to make it happen, then I say, you know. Let's get out there and make it happen.
1: Lynn Cox on the World Service this week, and loads more amazing stuff. Enjoy the rest of your Bank Holiday weekend, and we will see you tomorrow if you're signed up. Thanks again. Thanks Murph. Thank, thank you. you all. Thank Thanks all Thanks for listening. <laughs> That's the second time it's gone off. never
3: home. They never home. They
0: never go home. Those